Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. A double dose of Monday night football yesterday and the London clubs came out on top. Tuchel turned over the tune as Chelsea won their fourth Premier League game in a row with a 2-0 victory over Newcastle. Timo Werner amongst the goals and Kepa Arisa Balaga starting between the sticks. Does the Blues boss know his best team or is there some method behind the selection madness? As for Newcastle, how dicey will things get for them as they remain close to that dreaded dotted line? Talking of dicey, are the Blades dead and buried? Flattened 3-0 by West Ham last night, who now move into the top four. The Hammers have leapfrogged Champions Liverpool to the Champions League spots. And ironically, it is Champions League action tonight for Jurgen Klopp's side. The Reds face RB Leipzig in Budapest, not Germany, as this strange season throws us yet another curveball. Away goals in a neutral venue. We'll figure that one out later, as well as how the experienced Klopp will fare against young upstart Julian Nagelsmann right here on Football Social Daily. This is the Premier League podcast with a new show each and every day of the top flight season right throughout the week. My name's Niall McCorn and with me today we've got Marley Anderson. Morning Marley. Morning guys. How are you feeling today? <laughs> um, yeah, just an air of inevitability after watching uh, the 90 minutes last night to be honest. Ooh, we'll... Disappointed but not surprised. Okay, we'll come on to that in a little bit. We've also got straight talking Stefan Armstrong on the show again back for another week. How are you doing Steph? Now then, I'm good, yeah. Um... I found myself in a predicament last night because, uh, okay, yeah, um, I don't know if any of you guys have had to do this before, but I had to convince my girlfriend last night that Vinnie Jones was in fact a football player um, <laughs> because she didn't believe it. Because we were Did wa- you see him on that brute advert. He's unbelievable. Like we were watching um, Naughty's thriller classic um, Swordfish, uh, <laughs> which which with John Travolta in it, he's he's great, um, and Vinnie Jones is in it as a sidekick and. What a performance. I mean, you just wouldn't believe he was a footballer. Amazing. <laughs> Who's the next footballer to transition into acting? I mean, there's a few There's a few contenders, I reckon. Salah. I knew that was coming. Fat, I fat Ronaldo. I was waiting for someone to... Oh, Fat Ronaldo, what a legend. 
I, I love that guy. Anyway, enough about uh, the 90s and reminiscing of years gone by. It's time to talk about the here and now. And we're going to start with what happened last night at the London Stadium where West Ham defeated Sheffield United by three goals to nil. A great result for West Ham moves them into the top four in the Premier League standings. And I know it was against bottom place Sheffield United, Marley, who have only got 11 points this season. But as we said on yesterday's show, West Ham normally make these kind of games difficult for themselves. But that wasn't the case. It was quite comfortable in the end for David Moyes' side. So do you think that the result actually proves that the Hammers are now actually made of sterner stuff? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think um, we were talking yesterday, obviously, about you know West Ham. No result ever surprises you with West Ham. Um, they can turn teams over when you don't expect them to, and they can lose to... Um, the bottom of the league, you know, cannon fodder type teams. But I think the the issue has always been for West Ham beating teams you were meant to beat, um, and that's why, you know, they they struggled last season. They, they were in a relegation fight for most of the season. That's because they couldn't beat the teams around them. Um, they probably went into a, games with a bit of um, like overlooking the opposition kind of thing and thinking we'll beat them. Bit of complacency sneaking in a little bit. Um, but last night was I think was was proof that they were. They're able to do it and to do it without a striker as well, um, I think was great because, you know, to score three goals against a team you're meant to score three goals against in terms of league position without a striker who's meant to score you some of those three goals is um, is really good. And that's it's now convincing me that West Ham are sort of here to be taken a bit more seriously than I, than I thought. I thought Everton and Aston Villa would be, um, maybe not Aston Villa, but definitely Everton would be sort of more have more longevity in this weird season than um mm-hmm. than West Ham I thought West Ham had run out of steam purely because of the the thin squad especially up front um but it's not it's not played out like that I think West Ham are, are still you know cracking on still living that dream and I think you know to to get crash the top 6 has to be their priority now for the, between now and the end of the season yeah, absolutely. I said yesterday that I think that West Ham have got so far already this season and although there's around just about a third of the season to go, there's no reason they shouldn't be targeting the top four. They're in it now and the teams around them, as you say, like Everton and Aston Villa, they keep slipping up and Liverpool are on a bit of a downwards trajectory. Tottenham don't look up to much at the moment and I guess it's Leicester and Chelsea that West Ham have got in their sights. Anyway, regardless of that, the score last night, Stefan, was 3-0. The first goal came from the penalty spot. West Ham winning their first penalty of the season. The Hammers fans couldn't believe it on social media. But there was a little bit of a conflab between new signing Jesse Lingard, who of course is on loan from Manchester United, and captain Declan Rice. Now, Rice took control of the situation and actually took the penalty and scored it himself. But what do you think this says about his leadership skills. He's only just turned 22. He turned 22 in the middle of January, so just about a month ago now. And I think it showed, you know, really good leadership skills and confidence within himself to take the ball off of someone far more experienced than him in Jesse Lingard to say, hang on, Jesse, you're new around here. I'm the skipper. I'm taking this. I'm taking responsibility. I thought that showed plenty of character. I don't know what you made of it. Yeah, he explained in the post-match interview that he's, he's the number two penalty taker after Matt Noble. And Matt Noble wasn't on the pitch. And he kind of talked about how he, he couldn't really go in the dressing room and and uh, and face Moyes and, and the assistants if Lingard did take it and missed when he's meant to take it. So <clears throat> I think he, he he did what he had to do. He took it, but I will say he looked bloody nervous stepping up for that penalty. It was almost like a semi-final <laughs> of a World Cup against against West Germany. I mean, like, empty stadium as well. He, yeah, he he looked really nervous. No one behind the goal waving or anything like that. You know, <laughs> exactly. You know, empty London stadium. But he took it well. He drilled it into the bottom left corner. Um, 
So yeah, it, sh- it showed maturity. I think it, it showed it showed the it gave the impression that he, he's stepping up to the plate. Um, and maybe maybe this is the transition um, that West Ham need from from a novice player, um, somebody somebody who's rising up the ranks to somebody who's firmly established and is going to take control of the team. Um, which you'd hope Declan Rice will do in the coming season. So yeah, it was, it was a good sign, um, and it, it was done in good humour um, afterwards. Mm. The way he spoke about it, it there was no sort of argy bargy between him and Lingard, uh, so it seemed alright. Yeah, I mean, I, I just thought it showed good character, especially considering he's taken the captain's armband uh, in the last few months off of Mark Noble Marley, who's obviously a club legend. He's been at West Ham since the dawn of time, it feels like. Um, and, you know, he, he's kind of not forced Noble out of the team, but certainly he's kind of taken on that responsibility as someone who plays every game without fail for West Ham United, obviously barring suspension and injury. So what have you made of the rise of Declan Rice because inevitably the better he plays for West Ham and and the more he kind of takes on that mantle of being a leader in the side the more he's going to get linked to other clubs the likes of Chelsea have been reportedly interested for a number of months now yeah it's um it's it's one of them where you know as as good as West Ham are doing um I don't think they're ever going to be in a position where the best players aren't getting linked with moves away um especially someone the age and the status of, of Declan Rice and he plays in a in a position where a lot of teams need um, need a, need an anchor man, need a defensive midfielder who can pass the ball as well as win win it back. Um, so there's always going to be speculation over him. Um, I liked his character last night with um, t- you know taking the penalty off off Lingard. Um, I don't know what Lingard's doing, thinking thinking he's the penalty taker. He's been there flipping ten minutes. I know he's had a it was, it was kind of a, a, a horrible example of his ego coming back for me um, with Lingard. I know he's. I know he's got that and it makes him a good player, but you know to take the ball and be like, yeah, I'm taking it, it's like, no, you're not. You've been here literally five minutes. You, there's not even an option to buy in your contract, mate. You're going back to Man United at the end of the season unless <laughs> unless they want, uh, they want to sell you for probably, I don't know, probably want 20, 30 million the way he's playing at the minute. Um, but yeah, it was nice to see him just get put back in his box by Rice and say, no, sorry, I'm the captain. <laughs> I'm the designated penalty taker. Give me the ball and f*** off. Um, because and then he put it away, you know, quite quite comfortably as well. It's a decent enough penalty. Um, but yeah, I like that about him. I like his um, I like his character. I like him in interviews. Um, he seems, you know, engaging and, and honest. Um, and he's a good player as well. I think he's the future of England's defensive midfield position. I think mm. obviously as long as he stays at West Ham, he's going to be a legend there. Whatever he does. Um, and it's just now on West Ham to match his ambitions because they are this season. But if they were. You know, struggling like they were last season. Um, this year, I think he'd definitely be gone this summer mm. um, because you know Chelsea wanted him. I think that was largely a, a Lampard thing. Um, but if you look at who needs defensive midfielders in, in the top teams, you could probably say um, Man United need one um, with Matic. You know, being 108 years old or whatever he is. Um, <laughs> and then you've got you've got other teams up there as well. Spurs, obviously not really uh, in a position to go and buy someone of that sort of price now with with the way they're doing but there's teams up there that that would need um need players like him so yeah he's gonna he's always gonna uh, attract um admirers especially with with the way he is both in his his on the pitch and off the pitch um nature I think he's also taken a leaf out of Steven Gerrard's book, not in terms of the way he plays or his style of play or anything like that, but in the fact that he's going to have the same haircut 
from now until the day he dies, much like Steven <laughs> Gerrard. <laughs> very, very similar. <laughs> Can't imagine Declan Rice with any different hair to what he's got now. Uh, anyway, M- uh, West Ham scored three last night, Stefan, and we said on yesterday's show too, sort of previewing this game with Sheffield United, whether they might regret the fact that they didn't sign a striker in the January window because it was almost inevitable that Mikhail Antonio was going to get injured. Obviously, that's happened now. He didn't play last night. We discussed it on yesterday's (coughs) show. But David Moyes was really bullish around the time that the transfer window closed in saying, you know, I think I've made the right decision. We're happy. We're content. We feel that we've got enough, even without a recognised striker, to score goals. Um, And everyone kind of was a little bit, let's just say, sceptical about that. But has he kind of proved himself right now uh, about not needing another striker in January? Because obviously they sold Allaire, Antonio's injured, and they still managed to score three last night. Or is it too difficult to really pin that down just because it was against Sheffield United last night and they are bottom of the table? I think not having any strikers is an improvement on having Haller up front. So <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been proved right there. Um yeah, a mixture maybe. I'm I'm not sure. Maybe a little bit of good fortune as well. Um, he's he's lucky, or maybe it isn't luck. Maybe, maybe it's a testament to what he's doing on the training ground that, that the players that he's brought in, uh, Lingard, um, seeming to link up well. Like at times, apart from apart from wearing a claret and blue shirt, at times West Ham looked like Man United going forward on a counter attack last night. Lanzini and Lingard were were electric at, at points last night. They were really good. Uh, and if you've got players like Diop um, uh, headering in uh, set plays, um, then then you can kind of get away with it, even with without Antonio in the team. Um, no doubt that will be something he'll remedy in the summer, um, because you probably can't get away with it um, season after season. So, yeah, probably a mixture between a bit of training ground uh, work uh, paying off, um, a bit of good fortune, and... Um, Maybe even having having strikers which are out of form in the team bring bring a bit of a bad a bad feel around the place. Um, so turfing people like Aller out, I think I think it's quite good for for the rest of the squad. So a combination of all three really. Mm, and just on that goal scoring front, Marley, if you look at the goals that were scored uh, last night, obviously Rice with a penalty. I mean, technically that's a set piece. The corner with Diop's header a set piece and Fredericks popping up at the end as well with a with a neat strike into the bottom corner you know you're talking about two defenders and a defensive midfielder scoring the goals last night for West Ham so I guess is that kind of highlighting what David Moyes was getting at saying that he feels comfortable that players all over the pitch feel that they can chip in now yeah definitely um you know you mentioned there two defenders uh, getting goals and a defensive midfielder you look at Craig Dawson's got two or three goals in his last five games or something like that he's popping up from set pieces um yeah they're uh, they're a threat from set pieces which Suchek. is yeah mm. I, I was just about to say and yeah, no one's even mentioned Suchek yet so um mm. i think even vladimir kufal had a, a one-on-one from right back last night and ended up uh, <laughs> did, yeah. forcing a really really good save from uh, ramsdale but you know it's it's just the way west ham are playing they're they're open they've all got license to go and do things um and you know despite them not being sort of a team the way you would where you'd be scared of every one of them all over the pitch you know in terms of like who they are and how they how good a player they are they are playing together they're a proper they seem like a proper team now you know it's on one of them's if one of them goes forward like if Kufal goes forward somebody drops back and covers him it's basic football but a lot of teams don't do it well like there's that saying um, I think it was Johan Cruyff it was like um, football 
is the hardest game to make look easy in the world. But you know that's that's every team's uh, every team's remit, and they 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 are making it look. You know they're doing the simple things right. The threats from set pieces. I don't think enough teams in the Premier League do enough with the set pieces. They just you know lump it in the mixer and see what happens and aim it, aim it towards the big man and it doesn't really work because the the ball doesn't either either get there or the big man's marked by the other team's big man and they cancel each other out kind of thing. Like with Newcastle, every every set piece when Andy Carroll is on the pitch goes towards Andy Carroll and there's a there's a royal rumble around him in the box. Um, and he ends up decking three people and giving away a free kick. It's, it's it makes you want to tear your hair out. But Moyes' teams have have over the years been good at set pieces, and you've seen it again with West Ham because without a striker, set pieces is probably your your chance to score because you you got you put in three or four six foot pluses in the box. Um, you've got good delivery. Um, you know every team should have a, a a player who's who can swing a decent corner in. It's one another one of my pet peeves about. How uh, footballers can't put corners in um, regularly of, of a decent quality. Just on that, Marley, with all the data and statistics that are collected now, like Opta and all of that stuff, I'd love to see a statistic of how many corners per team in a season don't get past the first man oh, or the second man annoying, or past the front post, let's just say, just for a matter of measurement. But it's yeah. ridiculous. You know, we're talking about these players who are top quality players. I mean, some of the um, set piece takers we've got in the Premier League at the moment, like De Bruyne. Um, you know, Tellers at United's got a wicked left foot. Ward Prowse. Fernandez can do it. Ward Prowse is another one, yeah, for example. Um, Hammers, Rodriguez. But yeah, you still see so many corners that just don't make it past the first man. Yeah, I think it's sometimes, to be fair, it's, it's a tactic of, you know, like smacking it low and hoping somebody shanks it in the box, like the first man slices his clearance. But. I, it baffles me that that whole thing because you're relying on another professional footballer making a mistake at kicking the ball. Like it, nine times out of ten, he's going to kick the ball away pretty well. So if you're if you're gambling on a ten percent chance, for example, when it comes to a corner of somebody slicing a clearance, it's silly. You know, just there's a much clearer chance of swinging it in towards a guy who's four or five inches bigger than the guy marking him. Because I think last night Newcastle had. Um, Dwight Gale marking, um, I think it was, who was it in midfield? It was some midfielder who was towering over. I think it might have been Marcos Alonso or something like that. And it was like, that's a mismatch. And it's something waiting to, waiting to happen. And it didn't quite work out for Chelsea last night, but obviously they didn't need it. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of the things. Corners wind me up sometimes. I think Newcastle went a few years ago under Alan Pardew. We went two and a half years without scoring a goal from a corner. And it was like, every time we got a corner, you might as well have just switched off because it was just pointless us getting it because it just went in and got headed away or beat the, just kicked away by the nearest man. It was pointless. I think that Pat Nevin actually did a really interesting piece of analysis on why corners don't get past the first man. And he said because <laughs> the outside of the pitches nowadays are kind of um, laid down with AstroTurf and, and players are scared in their run-up that they're going to slip. Um, so therefore they don't really have the full momentum and full focus on putting the ball into the box. I'm not sure how much of that I believe, but I certainly do understand what you're getting at with the fact that there isn't much room. Yeah, but if you if you slip and you put it in a perfect position, yeah. fine. Just is it, is it worth again. it, though, to snap your ACL for Andy Carroll scoring a consolation in a 4-1 defeat <laughs> than to put you out of yes. action for 18 months? <laughs> Marley's opinions on that are different. Come on then, Stefan. We can talk about West Ham all day because they won the game, but what about Sheffield United? What, what can we say about them that we haven't said already on Football Social Daily over the last few months? 
I mean, what's the aim for them from here? What's the aim for Chris Wilder? Are they purely playing for pride now? Because I don't think anyone thinks that they're going to stay up from here. Yeah, to make it look respectable. The, the way that he was talking after the game in the interview, he's it, talking about massive steps back. For me, that's a little bit like Jurgen Klopp conceding the title. That's Chris. Um, that's that's Wilder um, conceding the fact that they're probably going to go down, and they should go down. I mean, they, they just don't look like they're going to score a goal. We've we've just spoken um, about set plays there, and I think the only chance that Chef United had last night was from a corner. Um, mm. Apart from that, they've gone missing. Yeah. There was and a good passage of play, Steph, to be fair, with McGoldrick's header, which got deflected off a defender and Fabianski had to tip it over the top. Um, there was a good passage of play. That kind of came from the left and the cross came in. That was smart football, but that's about the only thing I can think of. So you're right. I mean, the lack of clear-cut opportunities look, is really... Yeah, they don't look yeah. like scoring mm. at all. Um, and you, you just need to name their strikers and look look at their uh, conversion rates and, and they're terrible. Um, the only person who's got a decent conversion rate uh, is Billy Sharp, but he doesn't really start. Um, the, the trust has gone into McGoldrick and he just he just doesn't do it. And then when you back that up with Oliver Burke and, and McBurney, um, it's just... Yeah, it's just not good enough. So I can see why why they're at the bottom of the table um, and I can see why they're probably going to go down, yeah. Rianne Brewster as well, I think cost them, what was it, 17 million, something like that? Not scored a goal for them in the Premier League after plenty of game time as well. So. I'm surprised he's not running around still wearing his Champions League medal that he's got from <laughs> uh, from sitting on the bench when Liverpool won it in 2019. Oh really? I didn't even, re- I didn't even know that, to be fair. Um, but yeah, I remember him winning the... Um, the under-17 World Cup, I think, part of the same side that Phil Foden was in. Uh, interesting to see the trajectory of those two players, Foden and Brewster, respectively. One's uh, gone forward, one's gone back, I think you could argue. Anyway, time to talk about Chelsea against Newcastle United, but we won't do it just yet. We're going to take a short break here on Football Social Daily, and we'll catch you the other side of this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is your daily Premier League podcast every single day right throughout the football season, seven days a week. No other podcast does this. You'll be able to keep bang up to date with all the latest news and views from the English top flight, including uh, full rundowns of all the games um, which we do match reports for on your smart speaker. So all you need to do is ask your device, whatever it may be, whether it's an Amazon Alexa or a Google Home device, just say Open Sports Social. It will take you straight to the Sports Social skill where you can find the latest news, match previews and match reports for your Premier League. Your league side. There were two games that took place last night, one of them at the London Stadium, which we've already discussed, the other taking place between Chelsea and Newcastle United. The final score was 2-0 to the Blues. Chelsea getting off to a decent start against Newcastle, but they couldn't find more than the two goals they scored, and not for the first time this season. Um, they haven't been able to break through that two-goal barrier so far under Thomas Tuchel. Uh, both goals were a bit of a scruffy nature, Stefan, but... How disappointed do you think Chelsea will be that they didn't capitalise on that early two-goal advantage? Because we said on yesterday's show that maybe they just needed to score more than two because they beat Burnley 2-0, but they've they've not scored more than two under Tuchel so far since he's been at the helm of the club. So it just felt like maybe they just needed something extra just to kind of give them an extra confidence boost. Not necessarily. I think at this, this point, it's all about winning games and getting into that Champions League spot, which they did last night. Um, 
the most important thing was that Werner scored a goal. That was that was important. Bringing that confidence back. He played he played really well last night. Um, uh, his assist was was really good. Um, he was sharp up and down the wing. Um, yeah, he, he looked really good last night. Um, the only thing that was dodgy about him last night was was his uh, post match interview, um, where he was using this classic English German. Um, it was it was poor. But um, apart from that, uh, I think I think Chelsea can can be happy. I don't I don't think it was necessarily about uh, hammering uh, Newcastle last night. It's just getting those wins uh, and keeping keeping that going. Um, two goals unbeaten. I'm I'm right to say. Um, so 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 as as long as as long as that continues, that's what Chelsea needed. They just needed results, um, and and that's what he's kind of delivering. Um, so that was the most important thing for him last night. Yeah, definitely Timo Werner um, being involved so heavily and scoring, albeit it was a scrappy goal, only just crept over the line, Marley. Um, but he did look bright throughout, as Stefan says, not the best goal he'll ever score, but definitely it'll take he'll take that and Chelsea will take that if it means that he now goes on a run and his confidence picks up. Yeah, um, I think, I don't know, I don't know whether this is just me, I think it is, but I don't think he was that good last night. I thought he was brighter, but not necessarily the level where you can expect him to go and score a load of goals. I think he had two clear-cut chances last night and completely fluffed the pair of them. Um, One of them was hard, though, wasn't it? It was coming across his body and it was like a right-footed volley and it's always difficult to keep those under the crossbar at the best of times. Yeah, but like with that one, he, he could have touched it. He could have just took it down. If he had more awareness, he'd realised he was in five, six yards of space, seven yards out from goal. He could have easily took that down and, and just put it over the, over the keeper, around the keeper, whatever he wanted to do, but... Instead, he was rushed, and I think a lot of what he's what he does is is rushed because he's used to, you know, hundred mile an hour running in behind the defenders and and scoring with loads of space. I think when he's in tight spaces, I don't think he's I don't think he's that good to be honest. Um, obviously, he scuffs in the uh, the goal that he scores, and that's fair enough. And Newcastle made it far too easy for him to to get space and to run at defenders, um, especially out wide when he I think he created the uh, the goal for Giroud. Um, that was too easy. Terrible defending as, as usual, and on our right side, we're uh, we're not the best down there. But um, yeah, he's he he did improve, but there was a lot still to be desired. I think he he um he needs to massively improve if he's going to be the guy who's um, spearheading Chelsea's uh, sort of uh, outside title challenge challenge for the top four, whatever you want want to call it. Um, I think he's he's got to he's got to improve. His touch isn't good enough. His passing's not good enough. He's not strong enough. Um, there's only so many games where the ball's going to bounce to you, you know, from a corner where your marker just completely forgets that you're there, and then you get a simple tap in. So I think he uh, he needs to improve still. Okay, well, what about Newcastle then, Marley? Your side, no Callum Wilson, as we know, he'll be out uh, for a while. We said yesterday he's contributed to sixty percent of Newcastle's goals this season. How toothless did you look without him? How big a miss will he be in general after what you saw last night against Chelsea? Because there's some big teams coming up in that bottom shake-up of the Premier League. Burnley against West Brom, Fulham against Burnley. You've got some important games to come as well, Newcastle United. So how big a miss was he last night? Was it clear and obvious to see that you are looking lacking without him? Yeah, I think... um... I'm not, I'm not saying we would have got anything out of the game with Callum Wilson, but we certainly would have had a little bit more about us. Um, 
everyone, do you know what sort of got me last night? I think everybody, because it was a Monday night game, everybody watched Newcastle for 90 minutes for the first time in quite a long while because obviously we've had a few Saturday games and there's always other games on a Saturday. But when it's the Monday night game, um, a lot more people watch you and a lot a lot of people are saying, you know, oh, they're, they're rubbish, this this team's rubbish, you know, they're, they're never going to do anything without Callum Wilson. The scary thing about that was that last night was his, um, was better than we've played in that 12-game run. Where we were, where we were winless, we couldn't win in twelve games. We were better last night than we were in any of those games, um, so we're not as bad as we were, which is bizarre because we were bad last night. But I've still seen little bits where, with with more um, talent on the pitch, i.e. Wilson um, and possibly even Fraser as well, um, that we weren't as bad as what people are making out. Um, we were never going to win the game at all. We were never ever in it, um, in in a competitive nature. But um, yeah, Wilson, Wilson gives you something where you don't necessarily sort of expect him to get the ball and go and dribble past two or three and score a goal. Um, but if you've got a chance where a run needs to be made in behind the defence, he'll make it. And Gale, I've I didn't even see Gale touch the ball last night except when he headed it over his own bar when uh, about five minutes in. From a corner when Aspilicueta had a header, um, but he's he's not the same. Um, Wilson's one of the best I've ever seen at winning free kicks um, from that just relieve pressure, just get you up the pitch a little bit, um, backing into defenders, making you know going over probably a little bit too easily at times, but still he wins the free kicks for them. Um, little things like shirt tugs and just little bits and bobs that experienced strikers do really well. Um, and I think Gale is not that type of player. I think Gale's, Gale's no good if he's not in the penalty box, um, trying to score you a goal, trying to nick you a goal, a tapping or a, you know, a, a decent finish. But yeah, we were we were never going to win that game. We weren't anywhere near good enough. I think we had one chance at the end, which is Joe Willock's header, and he was one of the brightest sparks in the team for me. Willock um, seems to have really good energy um, and good touch and passing. He seems a really technically sound player. So. Quite happy with with what he's done. St. Maximum was kind of sharp, but with no sort of territorial stand in the match, like we weren't far enough up the pitch to get him into dangerous areas type type of thing. So, no, not a not a great performance for me. Um, and Bruce again said after the game, you know, oh they they we struggle with their system and things like that, and we struggle with their their inside forwards and. Like yes, Steve, that's that's tactics, mate. Like you know what I mean. Every every club has tactics. Like it's your job as manager to work out their tactics and neutralize them, try and get us in the game. And he was like, well, in the second half, we were we were much better. We were we were really good. Yes, Steve, because we were two 0 down, so they weren't attacking us in the same way as they were at nil nil because they need to score at nil nil. They don't need to score at two nil. So he was like, oh, we were good in the second half, weren't we? And everyone was all the fans were just like, what is this cabbage talking about? Uh, what's what's he going on about when we're two 0 down and we're playing well? What's a, there's no point in playing well when you're two 0 down? The game's gone. We we had one chance at the end, which is Willock's header, which was simply easily saved really by Kepper. But yes, yeah, another frustrating one for, for when the manager comes out. Sometimes when the performance has been sort of not okay, but not as bad as it has been, then the manager comes out and says the same old crap like that. It's uh, it just makes you want to just give up. <laughs> I mean, Chelsea fans would have expected to have beat Newcastle yesterday. Although 
although some people are saying that it's not convincing and, and Thomas Tuchel is still trying to find his best team, Stefan, we also said on the podcast we had no idea what team Thomas Tuchel was going to pick. Is that because he's still trying to find his best team? Do you think that's what it is or do you think there's more to it than that? He's probably gone into into the squad and said, I'll give you all a chance. And that, that was maybe where Frank Lampard went went wrong, especially towards the end. A lot of established players weren't weren't getting a chance to show what they can do. And Tuchel, in his first game, he kind of reverted back to the old old guard, Kante, Jorginho, Giroud, uh, and it got results for him. Um, so he's he's probably giving these players more of a chance than what than what Lampard wanted to give them. Um, and that, that's why we saw uh, Kepper in goal last night rather than Mendy. It's just he's probably going to say, "Well, I'll give you both two or three games, and whoever I prefer, I prefer." Um, so yeah, he's just he's just finding his team, which is good. And quickly on Steve Bruce, Marley, I feel sorry for him, man. He's got he's got nothing to work with. So that, that's why he's coming out of the same old miserable stuff because he's at a miserable club. <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> What what's he not got to work with? He's got a decent squad there. I, d- I don't think he does have a decent squad. That squad's not that's quite the squad's not bad. Nah, I don't, I don't I don't think so. I think I think they are where they are. Um, I don't think it's all down to Steve Bruce. If if like I've I've heard you speak about Newcastle a lot on the podcast, and that's that's just that's just one of the problems. Um, it seems I'm not an expert in Newcastle United, but. Uh, yeah, man, I just I just think a bit of positivity around that club and it'll help a little bit, you know what I mean? It's hard to have positivity when the guy's been doing the same thing for 18 months and he's wondering now why it's not going well. Like, you can't... He does the same thing all the time. In in his last 10 press conferences, and that's probably more, I just can't be bothered going back further, he talks about getting the balance right. When we get it, when we win, he says we got the balance right and when we lose, he says <laughs> we got the balance wrong. What, what is that? What's the balance? It's your job to get the balance right. Like it's not even a thing. It's it's like a um, something you say, but you can't put your finger on. So he he pies it off on the fans like that. Like, oh, we didn't get the balance right. No, you got the formation wrong. You got the approach wrong. You got the personnel wrong. Like it's your job as a manager to do that. And when when you've had managers, he said stuff in the past like, we don't. Oh, I don't really do tactics. How can you not do tactics when you're a Premier League manager? What are you on about? It's weird. Really strange. And when he when he's in charge of your club, that's when you when you see him. When you see a manager <laughs> do the little things he does, and you know who needs a flipping first team coach eighteen months into a into a tenure, like that's bizarre. The fact that you need another coach eighteen months in because you're thinking, Christ, we we need another coach because they're not going to sack me because it'll cost them two and a half million quid. Which if I had two and a half million quid in my bank, I'd pay it personally to get rid of him. He's useless as a manager I'm, I'm completely useless <laughs> well Marley said his piece um, let's bring it back to Chelsea you briefly mentioned um, Stefan about Kepa Arisa Balaga starting in goal I mean that was a bit of a surprise for me because there were discussions on TV between Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher about the decision making regarding Thomas Tuchel's change of goalkeepers and the debate was is it because that part of Tuchel's kind of remit in coming into Chelsea is to help get the best out of some of the more expensive signings? Now, obviously, Kepa had a bit of a shocking season last year and he wasn't great much before that. And Frank Lampard had enough and said, right, we're benching him, we're bringing in this new keeper. Um, and there was £200 million spent in the summer. And, you know, I think Mendy is better than Kepa. But do you think that that is part of it, Marley? The fact that, you know, 
obstacles come in and maybe part of Abramovich's task for him is to try and get the most out of some of the more expensive signings that Chelsea have made in recent seasons. Yeah, probably. Um, I think is you know everybody, you know everyone mocks Kepper and, and rightly so in some in some ways because he has been awful, but confidence is a huge thing um, in football. And if he's confident, he, he could easily be. You know, he was seventy million quid for a reason. He was one of the potential best goalies in the world in in the coming years. I think he's only, you know, in his early twenties, so he's got plenty of time to go. He could easily twenty six. Is he twenty six? Well, still ten years yeah. in it. He's got ten years for in a it. goalkeeper. It's young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's there's plenty plenty left in the tank for him. You know, there's plenty of improvement to be made. Um, and yeah, I mean, Chelsea know that they're in a position where if they do want to sell him, they're not going to get anywhere near seventy million. So it's kind of um, a catch twenty two situation of like, do we do we not play him and play Mendy, who's pretty solid, and take a massive loss, or do we try and play him? in the games where we're expected to win, let him have a build-up of confidence. And that's the one thing I've seen from Tuchel's teams um, so far in his selection. is a bit of Tuchel roulette going on at the minute. Um, but I think he's had simple enough games to um, to pick teams that can go and attack teams. For example, he, last night, um, if Newcastle had any threat, they would have picked Reese James at right wing-back. But he wasn't worried about what Newcastle had. So he picked uh, Hudson Odoi to play right wing back because he's better at uh, running at people and dribbling into the box and you know getting the ball further up the pitch type of thing. And it's the same with Kepper and Mendy. You know he he realised that Mendy was probably gonna have a quiet night. He might have one or two shots to save, and so he put Kepper in and said, "Well, why can't Kepper do that? Give him a bit of confidence. Get him uh, get him back sort of thinking he can be the goalkeeper that we wanted him to be." And uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see him carry on and get the odd game uh, between now and the end of the season even if it's just against the teams Chelsea are expected to to easily beat I think certainly we'll have to wait and see what happens regarding that goalkeeping situation I think Gary Neville's concerns were that you always kind of unsettle a dressing room and unsettle a defence every time you chop and change the keeper but maybe it is just a case of a handful of games here a handful of games there didn't really make too much difference uh, in the end last night did make actually quite a good save during the game Aretha Balaga but I still can't see him dislodging Mendy for the foreseeable future enough about the Premier League time to talk Champions League we'll do it next here on Football Social Daily Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. Two Premier League games last night. We've covered those both off. Chelsea, West Ham, Sheffield United and Newcastle United all in action. But now it's time to talk Champions League because European football's elite club competition is back tonight and the Premier League champions Liverpool are in action. They were drawn against RB Leipzig last season's semi-finalists. The German club who have been making real strides in recent seasons in the top flight of German football. Um, technically, this game is meant to be the home leg for Leipzig, but due to coronavirus rules uh, restricting travel in and out of Germany, the game has been moved to the Pushkash Arena in Budapest, which is in Hungary. How much of a difference, Stefan, if any, will this make? We've discussed this before about Manchester City's tie being moved. Uh, do you think this will make any difference to RB Leipzig, considering this is meant to be their home leg of the tie? Yeah, we spoke about it a few weeks ago. I don't think it'll make that much of a difference with no fans. Um, but obviously you want to play in familiar surroundings. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a disadvantage. Um, but 
is am I right in saying that the home leg um, for Liverpool won't be played in uh, at Anfield? Is that true as well? We don't know that yet. I mean, it's supposed to be played at Anfield, but I mean, because RB Leipzig are German, um, I don't think the UK is on a particularly uh, good list for the German uh, government, let's mm. just say, that I don't think they're quite keen for any German nationals to be travelling to the UK at this moment in time, understandably so. So uh, uh, we're not even sure whether the game will be played at Anfield. At the moment, it's meant to be taking place at Anfield, but it is likely that that will change. So for the time being, it's all up in the air, which is why this whole situation between Leipzig and Liverpool has been a bit of a mess. Yeah, it is what it is, but they need to get the game played, so they've, they've found a way to, to do it. Um, as, as we said a few weeks ago, it should probably have been one leg rather than two legs, but there we are. We've got, we've got an extra game of football. If I was your footballing authorities, I would have, I would have found an interesting way to do it. I would have gone to maybe, maybe played a, a single game in a in a in a country where there's uh, fewer COVID restrictions, so you can just pack it with a load of foreign fans, which wouldn't usually get it. It's like play the last sixteen in Australia or something like that. Do something a bit weird, a bit <laughs> crazy. I'm not quite sure that the Australians would be too keen to take a load of Europeans. Um, well, they've, they've just taken every tennis player for the Australian Open, so they're not that bothered. The whole debate around this and the fact that the game's been played in a neutral venue, Marley, has led to a big debate about away goals. And obviously the Champions League, a key part of the competition is away goals. The home leg is meant to be at Anfield, as we've just said, but it's likely that it will change. Other clubs will still play home and away at their respective home and away venues. I mean, it's just the, the German teams in which a problem is presented due to the current travel restrictions that those respective clubs have got. So what do they do? Because I've seen plenty of reports um, from a Liverpool perspective suggesting that it's absurd to keep in away goals. It's unfair. Um, it doesn't make any sense. What do you make of it? Because... What do UEFA do? They can't just change it for this one game without changing it for all the others because then that wouldn't be fair. Um, is it just bad luck on Liverpool's part that they've drawn a German team um, and that this has been the situation? Um, yeah, well, there's not there's not really much you can do about it, I suppose. I think if we look at the whole situation from um, a sort of government perspective, the German government's probably doing a better job of it than, than anything um, in terms of saying, no, you're not going to... Um, you're not going to come into our country because we're we're fighting this this pandemic and we're trying to keep um, you know we're, we've got a no fly zone and what, whatever it is whatever you want to call it they're saying you know no you're not coming here and that's obviously got a knock on effect on football um, but I think with with um, the home and away things I think you know it's just it's just one of them one of them things you can't have it the same from for everyone because um you've opened a wormhole already i think you know the fact that we still don't know where liverpool's uh, second leg's going to be played is a bit of a joke um you know you you're going to kick off the first leg not knowing where you play in the second leg because you might end up playing in in i don't know ireland you could play in france uh, um portugal whatever wherever it is you could end up playing that second leg um so i think it is a bit the the uncertainty is a bit of a disadvantage for everyone um, and I think the away goals thing, to be honest, I'd scrap them anyway. I don't, I don't really get why one goal is worth more than another. Um, in terms of, you know, I know it's meant to be sort of um, reward attacking football and, you know, things like that, and you know, make teams go away from home and try and score goals. But I still don't really fully agree with it at the best of times when everything's 
when everything's fine um, and not, you know, we're not battling a, a pandemic as well as trying to get um, Europe's sort of biggest competition on. But yeah, it's um, it's always going to be, there's going to be little things where people could, people can look back in years and have genuine gripes with. Um, for example, Leipzig can look back uh, at the end of the season and next year when, when everything's um, a bit more normal, hopefully, um, that they can come, like they can look back and say, "Well, you know, we weren't at home. That's that's a bit of a uh, a reason why we weren't able to beat Liverpool if they go on to lose, for example." But it's just one of them things, you know. I think you've got to go with it a little bit and just say, you know, that's the situation we're in. Um, it's not ideal, but we'll get on with it. It's still a game of football at the end of the day. You still got a chance to win it, um, even though it's in Hungary rather than Germany. You've got no fans anyway. Um, so yeah, just let's just see what happens. Yeah, I mean the hold away goals situation, I think becomes a little bit redundant in empty stadiums anyway, and they still did it last season. So I think that there are arguments for and against the whole away goals thing. I can understand why Liverpool fans would feel aggrieved, for instance, though, if they did get removed from the competition on the away goals rule, having both games probably been played in a neutral venue, um, and that being the case, I think I'd probably be annoyed too. But anyway, it's just the the hand that Liverpool have been drawn for the time being. Um, all of the things aside, let's focus a little bit more on RB Leipzig. They reached last season's semi-finals, Stefan, their first knockout appearance of the Champions League. They're coached by Julian Nagelsmann, who's a really bright young German coach and only in his 30s and hotly tipped to be one of the best managers in the world in the seasons to come. Comes up against probably the most recognisable and most successful German coach of recent times in Jurgen Klopp. I think this subplot between the two managers, um, the experience of Klopp and what he's won and the potential of Nagelsmann and what he's been doing with Leipzig is a really interesting subplot. Yeah, you're probably watching a match between the current Liverpool manager and the next Liverpool manager. Um, that would be a great bit of continuity for Liverpool, wouldn't it? To to, <laughs> to keep keep the German theme going. Um, yeah, he's, he's an exciting manager, and and he's he's been a pain in the ass for Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga um, over the last few seasons. Uh, he's kind of replaced Dortmund as as the club. Um, to, to, to annoy Bayern towards the top of the table. Uh, and, and they're flying mm. high. They're only five points off Bayern in the Bundesliga. So they're a solid, solid team. Um, and we saw against Man United in the group stages how good they are. So, yeah, either, it could it could be tough for Liverpool tonight. They're in a slump, Steph. They lost again at the weekend. Do you think we'll see that form that Liverpool are in carry over into the Champions League? Or because it's a different competition, completely different location, getting on a plane, flying to Hungary, different rules with the away goals thing, as we've already discussed, do you think that they'll fare differently against Leipzig as well, just because of all of those factors? I'm not sure. It's it's the first time we've seen Liverpool in this kind of slump for a while. A lot of teams that are struggling in the league, they take they take cup games as, as a bit of... There's a bit of respite, really, from the pressure that we're under. Uh, so you might you might see a free-flowing Liverpool tonight, who are one of the best teams in the world. Um, the front three are just linking up nicely and, and they're banging in goals. Or or you might see it continue. We've not really seen Liverpool in the slump for, for uh, of, of this magnitude uh, before, really, since they've been the unit that they are now. So... I don't know how they're going to react in a cup competition. I don't think I don't think they know how they're going to react. Um, a lot of that will partly be down to Leipzig and, and how they come out. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting fixture actually. What about you, Marley? Do you think that that poor Premier League form will translate into the Champions League, or do you think that because it's a different focus, let's just say that the attitude and mentality might be slightly different? 
Um, I'd be tempted to say the the attitude and everything would be slightly different if they still didn't have defensive issues. I think they've still got an, an obvious mm. problem to sort out, which is the centre backs, because um, Kabak was well, whether he was in, at fault or not at the weekend. Him and Allison had the um, the little mix up, and the stakes are high in this Champions League last thirty two, uh, sorry last sixteen. It's um, it's not something where you can go in thinking. Oof, you know, do they? Uh, do I trust my centre back and my goalkeeper to not get in each other's way and to have that mm. um, that connection? Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting game tonight. I think the bookies have got um, Liverpool as favourites. I think they could be. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised to see Leipzig win. Um, I think Leipzig like two to one to win the game, and it's uh, it could be interesting odds that because I think um, it's not cut and dry that Liverpool are going to win this game, even though the bookies have, have kind of got it that way. Um, or leaning that way even, but it's um, Leipzig are a very capable capable team as we've seen when they they blew Man United away in Germany, and um, I know they got hammered. At, at Old Trafford, I think it was five nil or five one or something like that. Yeah, five nil. Yeah, um, but they turned them over in Germany pretty simply, um, and were I think they were three nil up before two late goals got it back to three two, and it wasn't as tight as it sounds though because they they passed them all over the pitch. They were technically very very good, um, and I think if anyone's going to cause Liverpool problems in the way um, that the two teams are now, especially Liverpool's defensive issues, I think. Um, I think Leipzig could uh, could be good value for that. Well, we'll wait and see what happens tonight in the Champions League. Liverpool travel to Hungary to take on RB Leipzig, the last 16 of the competition. No other English sides in action this week, but do have two games next week for Manchester City and Chelsea, respectively. Of course, we'll cover them all on Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. But that's it for today's show. Cheers, Marley. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much, Stefan. Yeah, appreciate it, mate. My name's Niall. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way you won't miss another episode of the podcast again. We'll speak to you again tomorrow on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.